0: This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. I'm Iwa Messer. I'm the producer and host of Poured Over, and Deepti Kapoor is someone you are going to know, I promise you. If you did not somehow read a bad character when it came out in 2015, it was January. It was a quiet time. It's a modern Marguerite Duras set in Deli. I will say that. So if you haven't read it, go find it. You need to read it. But Age of Vice is just out. And I can guarantee you have not experienced a novel like this before. Deepji, it's so good to see you. Thank you so much for making the time.
1: Meva, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: So I have so many questions. I have so many questions. And I'm going to save a lot of them because they would be spoilery. And there's no fun in that. So let's do a basic setup. For listeners, because this is going to air right as the book is coming out. So people, it's 536 pages of extraordinary storytelling. But we have three main characters, Ajay, Nita, and Sunny. So let's start there. Let's give listeners a little bit of an idea of who they are. And then we're going to introduce them to Delhi, which is a whole nother thing. <laughs>
1: I'm going to give you a little bit of an introduction No yep, spoilers. So, you know, Age of Ice. I think it's it's a novel about corruption, power, use of power, complicity, ambition. It's set in North India, primarily Delhi and, you know, the surrounding areas, UP. I'm just going to give away the start, nothing else. It's also the car crash on a, on a cold and wintry night in New Delhi at the start of the millennium. A fatal car crash that kills five people. And then we jump back in time to delve into the lives of the three characters who were involved with the car crash. So there's Ajay, who is this very sweet, loyal servant, a uh, young man, who comes from nowhere, literally, to start working for Sunny Vadia I'm going to get to who Sunny is first, but I would say that his devotion and loyalty to Sunny will ultimately prove to be his undoing. And there's Sunny, who is the only son to uh, Bhante Vadia, who is one of the most powerful and dangerous businessmen in North India. And who dreams of moving away from his father. That's one of his ambitions. He also wants to please his father. So there's a contradiction there. And uh, finally, there's Neda. She is naive, curious, and often and also cynical journalist who falls into Sunny's extravagant lifestyle. And as the story unfolds, you know, all these three characters' lives become intertwined, and you have to read to find out what happens. It's an epic crime novel.
0: It's an epic crime novel, but I will say, yeah, I mean, the father and son piece... With Sonny and his pops, there's a lot that happens there. And Ajay, what a sweet kid and what an arc he has. And this is only the first volume of a projected trilogy, yeah. if I remember correctly. So here's the thing. I am going to tell people it ends on a cliffhanger.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't intend it to be this way, but I mean, towards the end, um, while I was writing it, it just it, it felt like the story was unfinished. And I wanted to take it to uh, more places, and hence the trilogy.
0: It's perfect. I will say the ending is perfect. I laughed, actually, not because of what happens, but because I realized what the last sentence was. And I just started to laugh. And I was like, oh, she did it. Oh, 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 she did it. You ended on a perfect cliffhanger. And it's been a really long time since I've had that kind of moment. With a book. And again, when you see Age of Vice, it's not tiny. My galley is actually over there and I'm not going to stand up and get it because it's also destroyed. I destroy galleys when I read. But it moves. This story moves. Not for a second does it get bogged down. So we start with Ajay's POV. We move into Neda's POV. And Sunny is sort of the thread that runs beneath both of them throughout the book. So I want to talk about how you settled on those three voices, though, because they're great. They're very unique. They're very distinct. But how did you get those three? And did you start with the idea of the story or did you start with these voices?
1: Well, so this is how I I normally start with characters. Um, I don't build from theme and concept. I build from... Weirdly enough, there are people I've known or met briefly and maybe they've told me some stories that I find interesting and often these characters will find a way onto the page. In the beginning, they might be inspired by someone and then uh, as I'm writing it, then they take on a life of their own and then they start to do things which are, you know, they all go on their own journeys. So to come back to the character of, well, Sunny... I went to school, a boarding school, in the hills of the Himalayas. And it was a girls' boarding school, which was modelled on English boarding schools, set up by an English woman. It was in a a town, which was full of other boarding schools, where there were boys' boarding schools as well. Dune, which was modelled on Eton, you know, post-colonial India. And these are schools which are meant to bring forth the future movers and shakers of the country. You know, politicians, businessmen, et cetera, et cetera. But often basically these schools of kids whose parents are pretty powerful, you know, whether they're wealthy or they're just in positions of power and influence. So I ended up basically hanging out with all these boys, even though I was in the girls' school, I had my, you know, my friends had brothers and et cetera. They were these young little snotty nosed boys. And then they I watched them as they became sort of wayward, privileged young men and then I watched them in their 30s turn into often quite powerful men or men who were going to assume positions of power, like now some of these boys that I've known have become parliamentarians, have become powerful businessmen, they're all in positions where they have access to power and that's because of their families. Yeah, it feels like, you know, I've been watching these mostly men, boys turned into men. So the character of Sunny is is kind of based on a lot of these men that I've known. Some of these men, um, well, they're also god men, which are, you know, Indian gurus who are basically the, the mantle of gods and have hundreds of thousands of of people who just adore them. So, I mean, it's this kind of a strange society. It's extremely interesting to write about so there's these like extremely influential powerful men that's probably the sunny character and that's also people that I partied with so I'm going to come to my years in Delhi later so there's that but then there is Neda who is a journalist I was a journalist but she's not actually based on me. She has an extremely different family background. She comes from a kind of bohemian but also elite, culturally elite family who lives in an extremely wealthy part of town, an address that speaks of, again, her family's access to her family's power and money's waning. So these are people who maybe benefited from post-colonial Indian reforms because they were in those positions to get them. But now, With the rise of new money, it's like there's this moment in India when new money was eclipsing old money. And that's the moment that I basically find really interesting because I happen to be right there observing and just talking to people and listening and and picking up stories. And that's what I've written about. And this would be because India in the 90s, well, we were we were basically a socialist economy, planned socialist corrupt socialist and and then in the 90s there was a sort of financial balance of payments crisis and our economy opened up from a place where we had no coca-cola suddenly you know you had bars and restaurants and coke and and products and and just money flowing into the country and i moved to delhi in 98 for university and i was sort of uniquely placed to be at that point of time when delhi was transforming from say a sleepy and you sweep like capital into something like it was just going into this this world that now it just feels like very strange now but that at that point in time you just saw the excitement so Delhi had always had this kind of cool underground art scene but then money crashes the party and and what happens is you have freedom ideas opportunities after university I become a journalist so my brief is not I wanted it to be like serious journalism crime or politics but because the admin in the magazine that i was working for they said there's this big revenue generating lifestyle trend so you have to basically be the trends correspondent which basically meant that i need to drive around the city looking for exciting new trends that that we can write about and then they can put in the magazine and then they'll have more ads etc etc so it was you know a consumer approach to writing it suited me because it basically meant that I could just drive around the city being cool, smoking cigarettes, talking to people, <laughs> finding my stories. And um, this is what I did in the day. And at night I partied and I, I met people like Sunny. And it was in those parties that I remember, now I'm going to come to Ajay. It was private parties. You You have everything that you want, you know, fridges of champagne, all the things that you could ask for. But there's always, and and all the movers and shakers of Delhi are there, but then there's another class of people that you're cohabiting that space with, always. And these were the invisible servants. There were the chauffeurs, there were the servants, there were the guys who would make sure that every time your drink looked like it was just about to finish, they would fill it. They'd be there to cater to your every need. And they were always invisible. And I remember there was this one guy that I would constantly look at because he was always present. He always had this incredibly sweet smile on his face. And I would think, okay, what is this guy thinking? Where is he from? You know, And I never really pursued that thought back then. And it was years later on my travels, staying in the, in the mountains in the Himalayas in the guest house, and I meet one boy whose family had sold him to a form of the benign slavery in order to pay off a debt. And he tells me this story, and I basically, in that moment, joined the butlers at those parties with this young boy, and Ajay was born. And that's how Age of Vice, like, that's really what propelled Age of Vice into being. Because before that, I might have had the sunnies and the Neddas, but without Ajay to fit that puzzle, that piece, it, it didn't work.
0: Yeah, no, I totally get that. And to put them all in Delhi, so... I was in Delhi in 2009 and I was also in Lucknow, which is the capital of Uttar Pradesh, which is where parts of the story take place. So there are references that you drop in both places where I'm like, I actually know where that is, or I actually understand what that looks like. But when you talk about the transformation of Delhi from sort of this very sleepy nineties, and Nada says this, I think out loud at one point, she's just like, I cannot believe, like she wants to believe in Sunny's vision for Delhi. And he's got some ideas and he wants to develop all of this property and he wants to make a new Delhi for everyone. And he's got these very Western ideas of how to do it. And because he has access to money, he has a better chance than some to actually make it happen. But I do remember sort of seeing everyone had a cell phone, no matter what their background was, every single person had a cell phone. Yeah. Just the energy in Delhi. Yeah. And I've, I've spent significant time in other parts of Asia. And there's nothing that compares. There's absolutely nothing that compares to Delhi. And also, you know, I was lucky and we had access to a driver and a car. And that's a very easy way to experience the city when you can just say to someone, I'd like to go here now and not have to really navigate per se, but I really would like to go back. But what I'd like to know now, because you set this book in the early odds, is what's the difference between 2022 Delhi and early arts Delhi? Because we're 15, 20 years down the road from what you're writing about.
1: It's a great question because early arts Delhi was when things were just starting to to happen. We were about to get the first big multiplex, the first mall, the first line of the metro came into being and now it's all over. You know, the, the, the way you look at Delhi has changed look up now you just see the metro lines everywhere and and the trains going back and forth you know you had just one bar that opened when I was in college which was TGIF it was an event for us you know I remember when I was working in because I did my degree in journalism and I was working in a in a newspaper just like doing some small stories they sent me to cover the opening of the first bowling alley and I happened to just be there, like taking scribbling notes and speaking with people. I was there for the first metro line as well, the first the inauguration. I remember sitting in a bar with my girlfriends who were all from you know school at one in the morning. And we were approached by a photographer who said, This is the first time I've seen women sitting alone drinking. Can I can I photograph you for this news magazine? <laughs> and it all felt very strange and, and fresh and exciting. And then I was in Delhi till 2008 full-time. Then I moved to Goa, but I, I kept going back and forth. I remember in 2014, when I went back and stayed for a few months, Delhi had completely shifted. So what happened is that when previously it was only maybe the really privileged had access to these places, and I'm not saying I'm really privileged, but you know I managed to get into the rooms. Now it was like everyone was doing it. The middle class had basically caught up, and suddenly you have... This is just an example I'm going to give you because it's an interesting example. There were dentists doing cocaine on the table in a bar, you know, in 2014, 2015, asking a friend of mine randomly if she'd like to join. And they were all dentists. So it was like this decadence that had been restricted to a small club suddenly spread out. And everyone gets into the party. And Delhi is also like this really intense, difficult city. It's the weather. It's either it's boiling in the summer or it's freezing in the winter. It's desperately unequal. You see that it's bloated by corruption and obscene amounts of wealth. And that obscene amount of wealth is really on display now. In the early aughts, you could see the luxury cars suddenly appear on the roads. And now you see like they're all over. I also have to say at this point of time, I feel like I don't know 2022 Delhi as well as I knew the early arts, which is possibly why I spent so much time writing about that particular period because I know it so well. I basically spent about six hours in my car every day, you know, and the rest of the time talking to people just everywhere at that point of time as part of my job. And, and now when I go, I live, my mother has moved to a sort of township on the outskirts of Delhi in UP which also features in the book and she and the, so then i have to be taken uh, earlier used to drive but now it's too fast so i her driver takes me into the city and then we go from place to place but i feel like i don't have that sense that i used to have earlier what i find has changed the way people move is the metro we didn't have that we had buses buses were and, and auto rickshaws you know when you were in university and and they were difficult you know you were just jostling for space So, you know, a lot of body odor and it was difficult. And now I feel like metros have changed that. You know, people are taking them everywhere. It's democratized the city a lot more. So it's it's also a city which is bloated by obscene amounts of wealth. But at the same time, the city is also like you have a, a growing emergent middle class partaking in all the things that. The, the 90s liberalization economic, like, and the economic reforms swept in. So you have the effects of that, which now you can see properly. And at that point of time, it was there in, in, in a series of firsts. So that's the interesting thing about Delhi. And also what I find now is that maybe it's just a function of that. I mean, I'm older, but I find that it, it, it feels like an city. The pollution, that we didn't have that kind of pollution in the early aughts. It started around 2010. So now you have this like weird haze or winter sun haze, kind of the smog. It it just changed the way you approach and, you know, like engage with the city. And everyone still keeps going. Now, what I found really interesting was that I um, I went back to, got got stuck here in Lisbon because of the pandemic. Um, Delhi in 2020 in January, then went back earlier this year in April, for almost two months. And India had one of the worst COVID outbreaks in 21 in the world. Delhi was very badly affected, yet everyone had just moved on. There was this collective amnesia. And I think that's also just because India is so difficult. You just have to kind of get on. You have to keep going if you want to keep living, if you want to make a buck. So that's what is really interesting. There was no time for anyone to say, OK, we're, go- we're going to grieve. I was confused about how to think about that, because you do have to move on. So it was really interesting. And, and it felt like there was no COVID in Delhi. You saw it at the airport. And, then it's and I'm just going back next week and I'm, um, I'm going to be spending time in Delhi. I'm excited.
0: You know, watching the evolution of a city, I mean, I've done it with New York, I've done it with Los Angeles, I've done it with Boston to a certain extent, like watching the evolution of a city. Let's take this N.K. Jemison idea, her last set of novels was about New York as a living, breathing place represented by people. But the idea of Delhi and the evolutions of that city and how much it's changed and just listening to you like, and you're saying, well, the pollution's gotten worse. And I remember walking out of the airport And we landed very late at night, and I remember walking out into the airport and being smacked in the face with smog, and just being really shocked by the air and thinking, wait a minute, where am I? Like, I just never experienced anything like that. And we had landed right as Eid was starting, and as we're driving in from the airport too. I mean, literally, we are passing camels and lots of goats. And I'm thinking, this is Delhi, and this is the 21st century, and this is, I've never I've never experienced anything like this. Yeah. And then of course there's a series of fancy parties and a great hotel and all of the, we stayed in civil lines and putting it all together and knowing that there was this piece of the city that I couldn't, like you're talking about the art and the mm-hmm. parties and everything else. Like we were there for a very specific reason. So I, you know, my time Still was, a wedding? Prescribed. yeah, we were, and my time was really prescribed, which was fine. And we had a great time and please don't misunderstand me, but like there wasn't a chance to dig around the corners. Yeah. As it were, like, you know, there was a moment in New York where you could just end up in the weirdest spaces at the weirdest moment. Like this collision of art and money and drive and story, just they kind of don't happen that way anymore. And it's you know, sort of New York at the end of the 90s, early aughts was a very different New York from 2022 New York. And that's taking out the pandemic. I'm talking about just sort of the cultural, like, even if you look at 2019, let's use 2019 as the bumper, right? Right. Like, that 2019 New York is not, I think, what any of us New Yorkers imagined was coming. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's pre-pandemic. And it's like, when you talk about how Sunny sees the potential for Delhi and Ajay, honestly, has no idea about any. Like he's just there to do his job. He likes Sunny quite a lot. He, I wouldn't say he worships Sunny, but he's he's invested in Sunny, and he's. Ajay
1: wants to serve. I mean, yeah, he, that's he does. Where he gets, you know, that's where he gets his sense of self is serving someone. And and Sunny is also um, not to give anything away. You know, he becomes a daddy figure. You know, that's where Ajay needs to pour something off. Exactly. You know, his, his, his love towards something.
0: Yeah. And Neda is the one who gets to raise an eyebrow at Sunny and be like, well, yeah, I want to believe this because also she's benefiting from it. I mean, she's right. having fabulous dinners and all of these other things, and she has access to a world and a party scene that she would never have access to otherwise. But the collision of ideal, sort of Sunny's ideals, and the reality of Delhi and the reality of UP. Yeah. And just, wow. Can we talk about the actual craft of writing a book like this, though? Because the pacing is perfect.
1: Well, thank you.
0: There were plenty of moments where I did not expect, I mean, I've read a lot of crime thrillers, but you pull off a couple of things where I was just, I was so pleased. I was just so (laughs) pleased. I was like, oh, she did that. Oh, okay. But let's talk about the craft of this world. Because Yes, it's your deli, but it's also not your deli. Yes, you've met people like this, but no, these characters are their own people. So how do you start? How do you get to what we're holding in our hands?
1: It's hard for me to talk about craft because sometimes it's it's this mysterious, intuitive mm-hmm. process that sometimes even I can't get a handle on. I don't work from team and concept. Right. And I, I had the idea for the start, for the crash, the car crash. And then everything kind of flowed organically from there. Ajay's story, and then we go to Nether, and then there's the story of Delhi within Nether's world and, and Sunny. I actually don't know how to talk about it. It just That's um, fair. That's totally I can tell you fair. my I can tell you my my daily routine.
0: Okay. Let's <laughs> let's go there for a minute.
1: Okay. Wake up really early, four or five in the morning, no internet you know, switch the internet off at night so you're completely fresh. Think about what you need to write the night before, make your notes, and then those are lying there in front of you. And then you write till about eight or nine, and then you spend the rest of the day, maybe walks, hikes, yoga, a bit of meditation even, just thinking. Again, you try and stay away from the world as much as possible. And you know you have something healthy, you cook, and then you go back into that. So it's just like every day has the same structure and routine, and I have to get into that in order to write. And I can't write any other way. I thought like maybe write with distraction, but that seems to be the only way in which it works. And then, after say, two or three weeks, it feels like you need a break, you know <laughs> <laughs> So it's unsustainable. and then maybe you, break the routine and then you go out and you have a few drinks and, and 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 there's also long conversations uh with my husband who's my co-conspirator so we yeah. and the thing with age advice is i was influenced by a few writers like for uh, 2666 Bolani. oh yeah 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 i and can they, see he, he structures everything into separate sections mm-hmm. you know? not, i don't think in chapters i don't think of uh, as much as sections i also think very uh, visually I think in scenes and filmic scenes and images and then I translate them into text so I'm not really thinking yeah so so these are some of the things that help and lots of times there's just loads of days where it doesn't work and you're mm-hmm. flailing it out and <laughs> then you throw away and then like suddenly there's like this couple of days where everything comes together it all works beautifully, and with Age of Ice, it felt like the first few sections were easier, and I really struggled towards the end. I really struggled with how to end it. <laughs> so, and and then hence the trilogy. So, you know.
0: Okay, well, it ends perfectly. I will say that the ending is organic. It's exactly what it needs to be. I had a moment where I was like, "Oh no, she did exactly what I thought she did." This it ended on <laughs> which. It's a great idea. No, no, no. It's great, but I did have a moment of, oh, where is the second book? Where yeah. is the second book?
1: <laughs> I, I remember spending a lot of time in the bath. I didn't talk about the bath. Mm. The bath is very important. <laughs> you know, okay. okay. We moved apartments uh, uh-huh. last year. Like the and the and the first thing we always ask is like, it needs a bath? You know, because that's where a lot of thinking and reading happens. More and more, I find that. Uh, it's the only way I can, like, completely not get distracted by phones or, you know, the internet. And also just struggling with the story, where it was going. It was difficult towards the end.
0: Okay, but I'm guessing you don't outline.
1: No, I don't outline. I do, however, make notes uh, and I leave them all over the place, never look at them again. And I- <laughs> You know, but the hope is that these notes like kind of when I'm the act of writing them down helps them sort of seep into my, you know, subconscious and then they come out. Yeah. So that's the process.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I find that when I'm prepping for interviews, sometimes my research ends up being, you know, 170 pages. I've walked in with scripts for 150 pages and the book itself is 179. And you use maybe a tenth of it. You know, it's just, you never know where the conversation is going to go. So you may as well just be able to absorb as much as you can. And like you, I mean, just taking the notes often helps. And then you find the thing where you're just like, oh, oh, okay. And, and
1: before the writing, always research, lots of research. You know, research, well, with Asia Vice, there was, you know, lots of travel that, you know, we had in, in we made in India, which were, again, travels not, you know, for the particular purpose of I'm going to go meet people and they're going to go find right a way into my novel. No, it was just other random stuff, like basically go and spend two months in Ladakh, in, in Leh, in the, in the Himalayas. And then at some point of time, you know, there'll be a meeting with someone random. I mean, I really believe in sort of serendipity and, you know, and luck and these encounters. And then that finds its way into my work in some form or the other. Because with Age of Ice, I was really interested in the way corruption works and the processes of it. Just a lot of fiction, a lot of reading of academic papers and journals, constant.
0: And luckily for us, you turned all of that academic work into a cracking story. I never would have known that some of your research had been that sort of... Oh, totally. That's actually very surprising to me. I mean, I can see sort of immersing yourself in crime culture and whatnot, but the minute you said the academic papers, I'm like,
1: oh, oh, okay
0: you really dug in you I have so really... many
1: right now for the for the for part two it's different because it's we're going into Punjab there's like a different kind of research and I'm also traveling that's that's why I'm in to Delhi next week so
0: oh that's really exciting Hey, who else are some of your influences, though, just as a writer? I mean, a bad character, your first novel, which, as you know, I am very, very fond of. It's also tiny. It was, what, under 200 pages and yeah. this very yeah. tiny, tri- not your standard hardcover trim. I was looking mm-hmm. for my copy, and I think it's in New York, which is where I am not at the moment. <laughs> but it's great. And again, Delhi's a character there, and it's a young woman figuring out what's going on. And she's on the precipice, too, of this new Delhi, old Delhi. And it's a familiar voice. And it was really nice to go back and reread that um, as I was prepping for this. It had been a while since I'd read it, but it's a very different book just structurally. So yeah. who are you as a reader?
1: Well, it's, it's interesting because I was thinking about that just recently. I really started reading for myself. I didn't study literature, so I, I didn't kind of like delve into any canons. I, I studied journalism. And in my early 20s in Delhi, I spent too much time on the road to read, <laughs> too much <watch my laughs> you know. And that, of course, all went into that character as well.
0: Yeah, completely.
1: Yeah, and also that was that time when I was recovering from two deaths, very important, for significant deaths in my life. So the reading really started in my mid-20s, discovering new writers. That was Anna Kavan, Paul and Jane Bold, a lot of mid-century American writers, actually. Also, um, so there were the beats, there was Trachi. And then I moved, moved to Goa, spent a lot of time in the monsoon there because we had a six month intense tropical right. monsoon. There. You know, you don't have any internet and the light goes off for hours. So you can just burrow and read a lot. So then, you know, I, I read Dostoevsky at that point of time, I read the big books. And then later on, Duras. Duras was a massive influence, as you probably see, embarrassingly so, in my character. So, and everything she, she's written. And later on, like recently, there is Alekiewicz, Svetlana town Alekiewicz-Bolano. Um, there's um, Highsmith. I love Highsmith.
0: I can totally say that. Especially there are a few moments in Age of Vice where I'm like, oh, yeah. Because, I mean, that's the thing that I really appreciated, as a reader was that everyone had depth, everyone had story, everyone had heart, even though a couple of them are quite heartless, but everyone had a soul, which is, I know that sounds a little strange to say when I'm talking about a giant epic crime novel and (laughs) corruption and everything else, but I got really invested in Sunny and Ajay and Neda and, and seeing where they were going to go. And there were a couple of moments where I was like, oh man, well, okay. Mm. And here I am wrestling with decisions that they have to make that are organic to the story and organic to them and everything else. And I'm kind of like, ah, don't open that door. But the way you get in under their skin is very much a Highsmith thing. The way she just gets into yeah. the psychology yeah. of her characters and whether or not you... I mean Ripley. Mm, but still yeah. you have a little empathy for Ripley which is a little disconcerting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's the beauty of her of her writing right? You always feel for the characters. You want them to get away with it, right? That's
0: completely. You
1: know, having said that, I mean though Sunny was really hard for me to write. Mm-hmm. Okay. He, How? Because he's he's not, he's not a very nice guy, you know. Right. He's yeah, he's he's difficult. Whereas I and Nada are much easier and mm-hmm. You can empathize more with their point of view, and sunny is cold. He's often, um, you know, there's often like there's an emptiness to sunny um, that you have to write, <laughs> so it, it it makes you feel empty inside. Mm-hmm. So the sunny pages were the hardest, actually, in in terms of like what they take out of you as a writer, as a person. You know, you don't enjoy them.
0: It doesn't show on the page. I'll tell you that much. Like, I mm-hmm. mean. He starts off having moments where you can see his genuine humanity yeah. shine through. And it's not always just with Neda. I mean, sometimes it's with Ajay as well. But part of me always knew that this guy really didn't have a chance. Like he was never, he has a couple of moments where he's like, yeah, yeah, we're going we're gonna to run off and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And it's like, dude, no.
1: <laughs> he's just not worthless. And his ideas are too lofty, you know, they're romantic, they're never going to. So the world that he operates in, that world of, this is the the world of like Indian oligarchy, crony capitalism, that is basically drawn from real life. You know, this is what happened to India, what's been happening in India for the last many years so so that's interesting because you have someone who wants to build these beautiful aesthetically beautiful cities and ultimately you have his family who are just like we just want to make money They have these crude ambitions but then he's never struggled like them mm-hmm. there's that tension
0: yeah. that generational divide to what you do to make the family money i mean you yeah. know joe kennedy joe kennedy good example right i mean here's the bootlegger here's the guy where you're just like oh yeah that sonny's in a similar position it's just he chooses to stay let's put it that way he chooses to stay and i'm sure that sets up everything that happens in the next couple of books but can I ask how far we are away from the next <laughs> the next oh, book?
1: <laughs> I have a tentative deadline to finish it by the end of next year. Okay. I mean, that's what I want to obsess over. And that's what I am obsessing over. It's basically it's all about the next book now. That's that's it. You know, that's my life. <laughs> you know, it's that's all I think about.
0: I think it's gonna be really satisfying. I mean, you know, sometimes with books like this you don't necessarily get the marriage of character and language and story. Sometimes you get more of one of the three sort of things. And the thing that I really appreciate about Age of Vice is I got everything. I got beautiful sentences. I got characters I was invested in. Even if they were not good people, I was still invested because I wanted to see how the story folded back on itself. When I say story folded back, it's always also moving forward. And that sort of tension between the past and the present and the reveal and the secrets and the evolution of Delhi and the evolution of Ajay and Nada and Sunny. And yeah, we're leaving out some characters because y'all can meet them on your own. And there's someone who shows up at the end where I'm very fascinated. I am very fascinated about our Punjabi connection. <laughs> Let's put it that yeah. way. <laughs> um, I think yeah. she has a lot that she's going to add. <laughs> to this story and I cannot wait to find out what happens there. But I mean, obviously you haven't left the story behind. I mean, it's not, but is there anything you learned writing your first novel, a bad character that you were able to use with Age of Vice? I mean, yeah, stylistically, they're similar. I mean, structurally a little different, just mostly length and POV and not the biggest changes, but also not the smallest changes. What did you learn writing a bad character that you took to Age of Vice or didn't?
1: Actually, with with so again, that character, you know, it is solipsistic. It's inward looking. It's one girl's point of view, her voice, exploring desire, grief, rage, trauma in Delhi at the turn of the millennium. It was almost like I needed to get that out of my system as so many writers say, when the, that first novel is get it out. And then I got interested in the processes and the of corruption. And that's what I wanted to bring to Age of Vice. where so you have this propulsive plot, you have that propulsive story, you have engaging, interesting characters, so many of which are drawn from real life, which is why they feel so specific. But then the background is this world that is modern contemporary India with all its beautiful contradictions and complexities. And so this is the thing with India, it's incredibly unjust, but it's also a place where you can do things. You know, there's so much spirit and heart. And that's what I wanted to try and pour into the book as well. These contradictions which are inherent in Indian life. You know, it's like you hate it and you love it and you can't do without it. That's how I feel about Delhi, about India. I mean, I live away from it, but I'm constantly mm. there, you know, yeah. all the time. So I hang out um, at this, um, I, I live in an immigrant part of Lisbon, it's surrounded by Nepalese. It's like Nepal town and the restaurant bar across my road is just run by a sweet Nepal, a, a Nepali family. I'm basically there almost every night, you know. Yeah, it just feels like I have to be with people from home and home is India.
0: <laughs> this is funny. I was interviewing Sasha Hemman yesterday. And we were talking about Home in the context of his new book as well. And I mean, isn't that why writers do what You do, I mean, essentially isn't writing a way of capturing home and figuring out what that is. And all of the disparities of a place. I mean, that's one of the things that I love about Age of Vice and certainly loved about a bad character is that we actually got Delhi. We didn't get a watered down version or a colonial version or someone else's interpretation. It just it felt like the city was alive in a way that I certainly recognized, and I haven't spent a great deal of time there. I mean, certainly I'm dying to go back, but At the same time, it feels real. You know, I keep coming back to this word feels, you know, or felt or whatever the emotion of the thing, the feeling of the place. And it's so important. There's a lot of universality to the story, obviously. I mean, corruption occurs everywhere. Oligarchy apparently is a thing everywhere these days. Yeah. I mean, like, we can't escape any of this. So it's of Delhi, but it's also universal. And I think, you know, when you can find the truth of your story, in the details of someone else's, it's a pretty cool moment. And there's a lot of stuff that I recognized just from being a reader and being a human being and being connected to my places, you know. It's, yeah. it's really satisfying what you've done in Age of Vice. <laughs> it's really, really satisfying. And, you know, I, I'm really pleased you said that and say that. <laughs> Thank you. And I realized, too, I knew this was going to happen. I totally knew this was going to happen, that we were going to fly through the time that we have but is there anything we missed about Age of Vice? I mean, yeah, we're dancing around spoilers in a really hard way because it would just wreck everything if we were to go too, too deep into the story. But is there anything you want to add about this book that isn't a spoiler?
1: No, I think you've you've pretty much, we've pretty much covered everything. I would love to talk about some of the other characters, but as you said, let's let's wait, you know. Let's have readers just discover them because they are discovered.
0: Oh, completely. Yeah,
1: yeah. They, popped out <laughs> and, and they popped out of nowhere. And they popped out in my mind. Actually, this character that we will not talk about, this wild, crazy person. I was in a writing retreat in southwestern France in this kind of like strange, gritty, post-industrial town. And the only like high-rise building in that town faced the water and we see these big ships coming in and out. Very strange place. It was autumn, winter, cold, grey, grim. And he just came. And I, it was because I was keeping a scrapbook. Also that it helps me work is that I I look at the Indian newspapers and I look at all the crime stories. You know the ones that are buried in the fourth or fifth page, like the recreate interesting detail. And I'd been keeping a scrapbook of all these stories and then He he just popped in and like I could just take from from all these things I had read. It was almost a subconscious process. of just I'm I'm the medium and it's being transferred. So that's the one thing I can say.
0: Okay, and I know who you're talking about. And he is not a good dude. He is not a good (laughs) dude. He is not a good guy. And essential to the story, without a doubt. But not a good guy.
1: But he's also a a product of of the world. He oh, completely! In. No, no, no! Completely, completely. You know, of course, you love all your characters, but yeah, he was fun to write, though. <laughs> you know, yeah.
0: I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. But yeah, he he stressed me out a little bit because there's some people who sit on that knife's edge, and he is definitely that. Di- and is mm, something no good is going to come of this. And as he's telling his story, and it just gets wilder, and you're like, okay. I'm really glad I'm meeting you on the page and not in real life because you are not a good dude. <laughs> but that said, you know, we should just let people go read Age of Vice for themselves. And when they're done with that, they can pick up a bad character because it's tight and it's a quick, quick read. <laughs>
1: yeah, there's a true line. We'll see.
0: There is. There absolutely Delhi. is.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And Delhi, oh man, that place, it is a wonder and a marvel. And I'm not sure there is any place like Delhi I think it really is kind of, and I say that as a New Yorker, and Delhi kind of is its own universe.
1: You have to go back.
0: Oh, I really, no, I really, 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 really would like to get back. It'll happen. And I'd like to spend a little more time closer to the Himalayas, because why not? And it's beautiful. I mean, we'll get there. Deep Deep Kapoor, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Age of Vice is out now. Thanks,
1: Miva. It's a real pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. To help other readers find us, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts.